Well, one of the uh, summer blockbusters tearing up the movie screens around the country is this film right here, How to Train Your Dragon Part 2. Now, I don't know if you saw Part 1 or not, or if you're planning to see Part 2, so let me just catch you up on the storyline. There is this uh, Viking village, and in that Viking village, they're all afraid of the dragons. They're all afraid of the dragons because the dragons do a lot of damage. And so regularly, there are hunts out to find the dragons, and in how to Train Your Dragon Part 1, the original, they get up close and personal with a couple of the dragons and they discover that rather than just being a force of destruction, if the dragons are trained, they can actually become a part of healthy living. And then in How to Train Your Dragon 2, they have to confront over and over again new challenges. In this particular case, somebody's coming to get rid of all the dragons, all right? And so what they have to do is they have to go to a higher level of training to manage and deal with the challenges around them. So maybe without even knowing where I'm going specifically, just by the way I've set it up, maybe you can kind of figure out what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to try to train a couple dragons. We're going to try to manage a few things that left undealt with can be an, an incredibly destructive force in our lives. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to go right to God's word. We're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But first, first I want to make you aware of something that we are in a battle. We're in a battle. You're in a battle. I'm in a battle. Maybe you're aware of the battle. Maybe you're not aware of the battle, but the Bible says that every single person that's ever lived is in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It has all kinds of implications for every other area of life. It has implications for our emotions. It has implications for our wallets. It has implications for our thought life, our feelings, if you will. It has implications practically in our time and our relationships. Sometimes it has implications even in our physical bodies. Now, because we're so aware of the physical world around us, what we can see and smell and taste and hear and touch, because we're so aware of the physical world around us, sometimes we forget that there's a spiritual world. We're so consumed with managing and operating and dealing in the physical world, we forget there's another whole world all the way around us. Now, you probably don't forget that on a Sunday morning, because here you are in church and we sing songs about the spiritual world. But when you leave, from about the time you leave church till about the time you come back, for a lot of us, it's very difficult to remember that we're in a spiritual world. And so we're in this battle, a battle for something very important, literally a battle for your soul on the highest level. We're in a battle for um, the way our lives with God are lived, just kind of the, the joy factor in that, in our our ability to live out the purpose that God has called us to, it's a very real battle. But the other thing that God's Word tells us we're going to discover is that our weapons in this battle are not ordinary weapons. We don't have ordinary weapons when we fight this battle. We have a, a spiritual weapons that we can use to fight spiritual battles. And that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you a couple of the spiritual weapons that we have available to us to fight spiritual battles. And most of us, myself included, need a certain amount of training in this, or else there can be all kinds of destruction around us. Destruction that maybe at first we don't fully see, but over time it begins to catch up with us. Now, just as a way of kind of giving a safe passage and a, a kind of a, a sense of, of uh, that we have a guide and, and we're going to be successful in this battle, here's the other thing the Bible tells us we're going to look at is that we have God's power working in us and through us as we engage these spiritual challenges. We talked about it last week. We're not alone. We're not alone when we 
fight the spiritual battles in our life. God is with us. He's for us. And he gives us his power. And his power works in our lives. And it works through our lives. So, what I want you to do right now, if you have your Bibles with you, is go ahead and turn in your Bible to, uh, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And I want us to talk about it. And what we're going to use is a standard Bible study technique today. So I'm going I'm to teach you something about just Bible study as we do this, kind of modeling it here together. There's, there's an old um, kind of approach to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, getting the most out of the Bible. And the idea is built around the word SOAP, S-O-A-P, S-O-A-P. And the idea is that if you want to get the most out of God's word, if you want to scrub down and get cleaned up, shined up, then you approach God's word with SOAP. And of course, each one of those letters in the word SOAP represent a piece of the process that we're going to go to today. And so the S stands for scripture. We're going to begin with our scripture and we're going to just look at what it says, all right? So in your personal Bible studies, you can do this exact same process. You can take the scripture as it is and just read it. Now, this might sound intuitive, but the truth is, is a lot of times when we open the pages of God's word, we bring not just a sense as best we can objectivity and trying to read it and let it speak for itself. Sometimes when we go to God's word, what we actually do is we bring our bias. We went looking for something. We were highly motivated around a particular subject, and, and all that's fine and good, but to really get the most out of the Bible, it has to be freed to speak what God wants to speak through it to us, not what we need it to say, not what we're hoping it says, but what it wants to say in our lives. And so when we look at the scripture today, here are the words that it says, for though we live, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We're going to pause right here. We live in the world, but we don't fight with worldly weapons. We have different kinds of weapons, and the weapons we have have the power to demolish strongholds. Some of you that are as old as I am, you remember that in the uh, early 80s when men would wear suspenders with their pants, right? Um, there was a comedian by the name of Gallagher. You guys remember Gallagher? Exactly, because I'm getting old, all right? Um, I mean, let me tell you what Gallagher's big gig was, and, and it, he made millions doing this. He would bring out fruit onto the stage on a table and a big mallet, and he would smash them. And then the watermelon would go out into the audience and people would clap. And then he'd go to the next arena and he'd do the same thing. And it took people like five years to catch on weight. We're paying way too much money to watch somebody smash fruit. But he would literally obliterate everything on the stage. He would demolish fruit. That's the image I want you to have in mind today. Even if you ever saw Gallagher on some 80s throwback video or never saw him live, the idea of smashing things is what this passage is talking about. And what kind of things? Now, here, here's the word. It's strongholds. So what we're going to do is we're going to explore this concept, this very biblical, theological, spiritual concept, that because we live in our everyday physical world, we don't think about a lot. But behind the scenes of our physical world, the Bible indicates there are spiritual forces at work. 
There's God, his spirit, his agenda, what he wants to get done. That's kind of like over here. And then there's the other side, the enemy, Satan. We don't talk a lot about him around here. We don't want to give him a lot of airtime, but the Bible makes it very clear that we have two opposing forces at work in this world. And, and my, my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, says there's two grave dangers when you're confronted with this particular tension between God's agenda and the other guy's. One is to pretend like the other guy doesn't exist at all. Just, just act like he doesn't exist. Kind of, you know, um, close your eyes to it, ignore it, don't take seriously what the Bible has to say about it. So C.S. Lewis says we can ignore it completely. And then the, the other thing is, is to always think that it's ever-present. We see a demon behind every bush. C.S. Lewis says those are two extremes to avoid. And as we're trying to avoid those two extremes, though, somewhere in the middle, there's an appropriate understanding, and that understanding gives us knowledge, and knowledge gives us power, that there is an opposing spiritual force. And in the passage we're going to look at today as we do the S of our SOAP process is we just want to acknowledge that what God's power can do in our lives is to demolish strongholds. Now here's what a stronghold is. That word plays on the ancient imagery of military engagement that's a little bit different than what most of us experience. We on occasion can watch on our televisions military engagement. But back when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, Rome was in power, and it, the thing that everybody knew about Rome was they were strong. They were militarily strong. And they grew their empire through military conquest. And, and the people that Paul is writing to, they're very familiar in an earthy, up-close way to military concepts, and one of those concepts was the concept of the stronghold. Now, if you're a, a, a kind of a, a geek like me and you, and you like science fiction films, maybe Lord of the Rings... This would be like Helm's Deep. Now, you know you're sitting next to a geek. If when I said that, they went, oh, you know. All right, so um, if you're a science fiction geek, this, this would be like the, uh, in Star Wars. Do you guys know what the big, almost planet-sized moon was? What was that called? The Death Star. See, you're geeks too. That's all right. I love you. That's why I like this church, all right? The Death Star. They are strongholds that become a fortification and in this case, for the enemy, it could go either way, but in this case, it's specifically talking about fortified, fortressed, strongholds, military centers of force and resistance. And the Bible says that in our spiritual warfare, one of the things God wants to do is give us power to demolish strongholds. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the nature of these strongholds yet. We just have the imagery. So here's what the Bible continues to say to us. <clears throat> that, that these things have the power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in describing the strongholds and our engagement with them, the Bible says... We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There are, there, there's this knowledge thing, and there's arguments surrounding knowledge, and this knowledge and these arguments around the knowledge sets itself up to be contrary to Christ. 
And so we come in in spiritual engagement and we're equipped and empowered by God to deal with those strongholds and we demolish them and we tear them down and we take them captive, these strongholds, to the cause of Christ. Now, if you still don't know exactly what what we're talking about, you wouldn't be all that unique. A lot of folks don't when they read this passage, so let me just be very blunt about it. Strongholds, these are areas of thought, arguments, in our minds, the lies that we believe that get entrenched in our thinking. They get entrenched in our heart. They're lies. They're not true. Sometimes they're pernicious lies in this regard. They sound a little bit true. There's a little bit of evidence for truth. But at the core, there's a brokenness. There's a falsehood to it. And yet we buy it as fully true. And we make decisions. We think through the lie and it impacts the way we think. We build our lives often. We react to the lie, believing that the lie is true. And when we do that, it causes us damage. And these lies... They don't come from our Heavenly Father, who the Bible describes as the, as the author of light. They come from the other side. They come from the other side. And, and the other side, the whole purpose of the other side is to dispense lies into our life in hopes that we'll build upon those lies, bank our life on those lies. And then when the storms come, as Jesus described, between the two people who built their house on the rock and on the sand, when the storms come... Those that have built their lives on the lies are like the ones who built their lives on the sand and the storms wipe the house away. And we're called, instead of that way, to demolish these strongholds, to take those thoughts captive, to tear them down, and instead live our lives by the truth. A stronghold is a place of strength where evil has gotten entrenched in our thinking. Sometimes not out in the open, or, or it's not easily exposed. It's usually well defended and difficult to attack. And so the Bible tells us in our passage that when we fight these strongholds, we can't just use ordinary weapons. Now maybe you didn't think about it this way, but let me just ask you, have you ever known somebody... Maybe it's a woman. I don't want to pick on women. I'm just going to use this illustration because I think it's something we've commonly experienced. There's a woman who's fairly well proportioned. You know, she, every, everything kind of fits together. She's got a, a nice shapely form. You wouldn't call her fat at all. And yet when she thinks about herself, when she describes herself, there's all these hints that she sees herself as way too large. And so she's always on a mission to lose and to, to fit some image. And yet when you look at it, you're thinking like, I mean, do you not see what I see? No, you, you just don't see yourself right. So, so she has a, con- a misconception about herself, and it's impacting everything she thinks and feels, and the decisions she makes, and how she interacts with the world around her and the people around her. And yet folks outside of her are going from an objective place, well, I don't see what you see. That's an example of a stronghold. Now that one can be somewhat dangerous, certainly robs people of joy, but... They get a whole lot worse from there. A basic lie that gets centered down deep in us and it affects everything we do. A lot of times strongholds get established out of a wounding that we've experienced. Out of some pain that we've had happen in our lives. 
when, when you come to strongholds, these lies in your life, I bet parents, just for a moment, I bet that you've engaged your kids at some point of pain in their life, and in talking with them and working through that, you hear them say things that as they're talking, you think, wait, that, that's not true. You're not dumb. You're not weird. You're not strange. You really are. I mean, we just want to be objective. You really are very much in the middle or on the high end or maybe just slightly, you know, one deviation away from the middle of everybody else who's just like you. I mean, you're just like your peers. But that child feels strange, stupid, cut off, unworthy. And you're, you're watching this from the outside. What, what, what's going on there? There's a lie propping itself up as the truth. And then the world begins to get interpreted through the lenses of that lie. And the Bible says that these kinds of things are strongholds in people's lives. And I've found, I think, about five particular categories of strongholds. See if you can relate to any one of these. Sometimes I think people have kind of a materialistic or a financial stronghold. Ideas and beliefs about money, specifically this way, that their worth and identity is somehow connected to how much money they have or how much stuff they have. Or, or, or where they fit in some ranking as they watch other people have cars and houses and vacations and clothes, and then they rank themselves. And a certain amount of that is understandable and healthy and good, maybe even fine, but the lie creeps in that says this, if my neighbors have this on whatever scale I'm measuring, and I think I'm here, maybe that's actually active and true and correct, but the lie is, then somehow my neighbor has a better life. They're more important, they're, they're more significant, they're, they're better people. And this lie begins to kick in, and a competitive, competitiveness often, or a, a sense of insignificance often kicks in, and people rank themselves and give themselves a sense of value often based on what they perceive other people to have. It affects all kinds of things. There are financial strongholds around safety, and so sometimes people save well beyond what they should save. They become miserly, and they're afraid to get rid of anything. You've seen that show, Hoarders. Have you seen this show where people pile up all kinds of stuff, and they can't emotionally let go of anything? A lot of times behind that dysfunction, outside the chemical stuff that might be going on, there's a stronghold that says, this stuff defines me. The stuff I have stuff I earn, the degrees that I carry. They define my value and worth. It wouldn't be strange to say that in this room there might be some folks who have materialistic or financial strongholds in their life, lies that are operating. Maybe they're not even aware. Maybe you're not even aware. And yet these lies have had the ability to rob you of joy, keep you from engaging making you feel like you're not worthy, and they actually build barriers between you and your engagement of the world in a healthy way. Materialistic and financial strongholds in our culture in America here in the West are huge. It's all around is reinforced. 
And yet when you look at God's word, it's clear that our materialistic stuff, our financial stuff, doesn't speak to our value and worth at all. That's the clear teaching from God's word. And yet it's always there for a lot of us. Here's another type of stronghold that I think I see pretty regularly. It's an addictive or a, a habitual stronghold. A habitual or an addictive stronghold. Some substance, some activity that began innocent enough and then a person wakes up and realizes the very thing that they used to do that felt like fun and freedom has now enslaved them and they can't see it fully but maybe they're beginning to feel the effects depending on where they are and how much time has passed from the time they started really doing the thing and so you have some curious middle school or high school boy or girl and they roam on the internet, and they come to one of those places, and it captivates their attention and imagination, as it's likely and probably should do, because everybody's interested in that sort of stuff. And what begins as an innocent, inquisitive journey, five years later, ten years later, for some folks, is now a full-fledged addiction. They never meant it to go that way. And they begin to interpret the world around them through the lenses of that thing, and They manage every stress through that thing, and that thing begins to impact relationships in their life and their joy factor and their identity, and they're stuck. And so you see things from as simple as like, you know, cigarettes and and alcohol and illegal drugs, and here in the nice, pretty suburbs, legal drugs take it illegally and abused that way, and all kinds of habitual In our culture, we have food habits, don't we? I'll tell you this. It's a statement I believe in fully. Nothing will love you like a double cheeseburger. I mean, it's just the truth. Double cheeseburgers will love you every time. And so it's real easy to run to these places and without even thinking about them, because often they're hidden, these addictive and habitual strongholds can take hold. There are personal and physical strongholds very much along the lines of the food stuff that I'm talking about. Personal experiences that you've had, woundings, where somebody spoke something over your life, somebody significant whose opinion you valued looked at you and said, you really don't have what it takes. Of course, they didn't use those words, but that's what you heard. And that affected your mind, your heart, your thinking, and that lie fits a paradigm of the world that you see. And that stronghold gets established. There are relational strongholds. I mean, abusive relationships in our culture, rampant. Those we can identify and get press time and those that don't. There's a lot of discussion about bullies these days. On the other end of a bully dynamic, there's often a person who, if we're not careful, begins to internalize those kinds of feelings and emotions and those Experiences and words take root and a lie about them and their value and their worth and their preciousness gets fully seated in here somewhere. Beyond these four dynamics here, there's a fifth one just to mention briefly. There are spiritual strongholds. In fact, in one sense, every one of these are spiritual because every part of our life has spiritual implications. But there are just flat-out theological lies spiritual lies that people buy into. One common one in our culture is is that I have to 
We don't say it this way because we know we're not supposed to, but it's practically how we operate. I have to earn my relationship with God. We say grace. We believe it's grace here to some degree, but down here deep somewhere, we know deep down it's on us to get our lives cleaned up and earn it. Now, every stronghold, no matter what it is, whether I touched on one for you or not, every stronghold is built on a lie, and that lie will always lead to destruction. Something, wherever in your life you built something on a lie, wherever that is, there's an implication out there somewhere. There are tentacles reaching out from that lie, touching parts of your life, and where it touches, it's destroying stuff. That's what lies do. They destroy. The Bible makes it clear why this is, because there is a father of lies, the enemy, that's how it, literally, the father of lies, and his language, his native tongue, the Bible says, literally, is lies. He's fluent in them. And wherever those lies in our lives are operating and the tentacles are reaching out and touching areas of our lives, there's destruction and harm and a robbing of joy and our identity not fully expressed and our purpose not fully revealed and our relationships not fully intimate. So the Apostle Paul writes and he says, hey, we've been talking a lot about life, how to do church, how to manage interaction with the government, how to think about your role in the world, but kind of behind it all, let me just make something clear. There are strongholds, and they need to be dealt with because you can clean up all the dressings of your life, but if you don't deal with the way you see and think about the world, it's never really going to get changed. And so there comes a time when strongholds have to be, strongholds have to be destroyed, obliterated, literally smashed and gone. And the first step, I believe, to this is simply identifying the strongholds. So let me ask you, are there any lies? Maybe you haven't thought about it this way. That's okay. This might be a new concept. Are there any lies in your life that have taken root? Maybe enough time has passed and they begin to find expression in your life and the way you interpret how people interact with you. Or they begin to interpret decisions you make. They're let me tell you how, how you know you're getting close to strongholds. It's the stuff that keeps you perpetually awake at night. And you can't turn your mind off on that subject. And you find yourself not once or twice in a season of life, but over and over and over again, you come back to it, and it's just there. It's often fear. Wherever you're easily wounded by interactions with other people, Whatever easily wounds you there. When you have a strong desire to control, but the truth is any outside observer would tell you, you really can't control this. The best you can do is affect it, but you are not really going to control anything. Fear, wounding, a sense of control. These are indicators we're getting close, potentially, to a stronghold. Parents sometimes believe that if they could be just good enough parents and do it all right, and being a good parent is very important, we spend a lot of time on that here, but they believe, this is the lie, that if they could do it right, then they can prevent all kinds of pain and normal life dynamics from touching their kids. And it comes from the most healthy place in the world. They love their kids. They want the best for their kids. 
And so parents press in, in a way, built on a lie that if they can perform well, the kids are going to be fine. And so not only do we have the angst of just a kid going through life, we now have the challenges of a parent who is operating on a lie. And you can imagine, without me even stretching this illustration much further, how much dysfunction can begin to develop into that dynamic. So identifying where we have strongholds are important. Here's the other thing we can do, though, is we can attack strongholds with the spiritual weapons this verse talks about. We have moved now from the S, the scripture itself, to the O in SOAP, observations. I've been doing that with you for the last few minutes. We've been observing certain things about the world around us and certain things that touch on the concepts delivered to us in the S, the scripture. We're observing things, and here's one of the observations you can make about this passage. That we're told that when it comes to strongholds, normal weapons aren't going to work. Spiritual weapons are required. And so God's word tells us what those are. To attack strongholds, we have to use God's weapons. We're told that in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. No, we fight with the weapons of God. And there are two big ones here. Prayer and truth. Prayer and truth. S, Scripture, O, observations, and the A is application, where you begin to take the Scripture and your observations begin to apply it to your life. So let me take you down the A for me right here. I was in fifth grade, and I'll never forget, it sticks in my mind. And it's, it's a, it has been a stronghold for me on and off. I've attempted to destroy many times and, and been largely successful to some degree. But it wants to keep rising its head. I had a teacher look at me once after a significant struggle in a subject. And she said these words, and she meant really, really good things, I'm sure. But I was just at that moment in time where I was beginning to think not just as a child, but moving into adolescence and thinking about the world. And she uttered this phrase over me, and it got in my ears, but not just my ears, in my head, in my heart. And she said, I think, Ben, what's going on here is you're just being lazy. Now, she didn't mean to think about it. What she wanted me to do was simply try harder. I know that now. But you know what I heard? Ben's lazy. So this began for me a series of activities and behaviors over the next several years of my life that when it came to academics, nobody would ever be able to accuse me of being lazy again. Now, certain strongholds can benefit you for a while. They can make you feel good about yourself. They can give you a sense of safety. And let me tell you what it did for me. I excelled academically. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it would be. Except for me, it wasn't being driven to be a learner and to know and to take all of God's world and take it in. This was now my identity, and I was fighting against a lie. And so, you know, blowing national tests out of the water, getting scholarships, and making my name in the paper regularly. These were things that I attached my identity to. None of them are bad at all, but for me, they were necessary. They were required for me to feel good about the world in which I lived. That's just me being honest here in this room. I hope you're okay with the pastor being honest. So I've always struggled with this idea of laziness and hard work and academics. and That's a stronghold. It doesn't bring me joy. Even when I win, you know what I think? What's the next one? How am I going to tackle the next one? That's a stronghold. That's mine. I, I got more. I'm not going to share the others with you. 
What are yours? Where do you need to take prayer and God's truth and destroy strongholds? I'm not talking about just getting smarter, working a little harder, trying a little more, tweaking a little bit here. I'm talking about taking every thought captive to the cause of Christ. So we have to pray about it. Because in prayer, we reveal our hearts to God, and we open up our minds and hearts to hear from Him. We start a conversation from God, who is not the source of lies. He's the source of truth. And we begin to bring that truth into our lives through prayer. Prayer and truth. The other way is simply through God's Word. What has God told us about the thing, the lie, the essential incongruent thing going on in your heart and mind? What has God said about it? For a lot of us, strongholds are built somewhere close to identity issues in our life. So let's just, for just 30 seconds, look at what God's Word says about our identity. That you and me, we're, we're made in God's image. And that is all we need to consider ourselves highly prized, significant value, no matter what any person says about us, this truth is to trump all of that. God's word tells us that Jesus Christ came and paid an ultimate sacrifice so that every single person in this room, that means you and me, can know just how much value and worth we have in our Heavenly Father's eyes. And that truth, the value and worth we have in our Heavenly Father's eyes, is supposed to trump every other lie and demolish and tear down strongholds and bring them captive to the cause of Christ. And in our prayer, in our engagement of Scripture, we begin to tear these things down. We are not victims. We do not have to be victims to the strongholds in our lives. We don't. We have spiritual power we can tap into through prayer and God's word that literally destroys every imagination, every argument that sets itself up against God. And we can take that stronghold that wants to take you captive, we can take that stronghold captive and make it submit to the cause of Christ in our life. So I I don't have value and worth because I'm smart. I don't have value and worth because I work hard. I have value and worth because I'm made in the image of Christ. Jesus bought me with his blood. He put a call on my life just like he has yours. And that call indicates that he has a certain value and trust he's willing to loan me because I, I matter to him. And you do too. So we... Scripture, let it speak for itself. We make some observations. We, A, we begin to apply the truth to our life, and then, P, we shower it, cover it all with prayer. The reason pastors want you to read God's Word isn't because God's giving us brownie points for every person in their congregation that reads His Word. The reason why we're asking you to pray is not so we can all look like good little Christians. 
Prayer and the engagement of God's word tears down the strongholds in your life. When you begin to see things the way God sees them, you can begin to live the life that God has called you to live. When you begin to see things the way God sees them, value things the way God values them, understand things the way God understands them, then the door is open, the stronghold is demolished, and you begin to live the life that God wants you to live. And that's the sweet spot of life with God. So in prayer, not because you have to, not because you're checking a list, but because prayer frees us it opens us up to that dialogue with the source of truth. And then we have God's word that stimulates us with truth in a, in a different mind. And we engage it by letting it speak for itself. We make observations around it. We try to apply it to our lives. Between prayer and truth, strongholds begin to drop in our lives. Some of us, and I don't mean this in a guilt-inducing way, some of us are stuck and we've been stuck longer than we needed to simply because we haven't taken the weapons of our warfare and use them in our lives. We haven't taken what God has offered, the very tools that will pull down the strongholds and made them of use in our lives. So we need to pray. In fact, normally, right about this point in the message, I ask you to get out your connect card. We're going to do that in just a moment, but we're going to spend just like a minute and a half in prayer together. And I want to show you some of the ways that I pray about my stuff. All right? I'm going to show you how to just like, bear your heart before God and let him begin to tear things down. So you take prayer, you take God's truth, and together then they become the mighty weapons of our warfare that are not, are not worldly alone. They operate in the world, but we're not of the world, the verse told us. And they begin to demolish, smash the strongholds. So in the prayer thing, it's just simply your ability to be honest and go to your Heavenly Father and talk to Him about what's on your heart. So over the years, I've had to do this with a counselor on my stuff. It's like I'm driven and the least little bit of failure can make me feel like a failure. And I know objectively it's not true. And yet there it is. And so whenever you encounter the lies in your life, you bring the truth of your Heavenly Father to bear. So for me... Here's what it looks like. God, once again, here I am. And the lies are speaking loudly. And I know that you tell me I'm made in your image. That it's not an accident that I'm here. That you placed me in this place. And I know that your words about me are louder more true, more permanent than any other force that I'm going to encounter. So God, I feel powerless to deal with this on my own. I'm asking you, the God of all power, all truth, all wisdom, to speak clearly here and do your work. I'm asking you, God, to shatter these lies fully and completely and help me to live today Embracing the truth that you speak about me. The truth that caused you to send your son to die for me. And I ask this in your name. Amen. 
And not once, not twice, but every time I'm aware that the angst, the fear, the control is cropping up, that's the prayer or some version of it. And then I go to the Bible passages and we memorize scripture that speak to our issues. So as a young man, when I was struggling with sexuality and trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to try to keep my way pure as God tells me to do in his word because I wanted to follow Jesus. I memorized passages like the one in Job where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I won't look lustfully upon a woman. I memorized the words of Paul to Timothy. Flee, run from sexual immorality. And the truth of God's word, I put it in my heart so that I might not sin against him. And it began then to build a fortification in my heart on the positive side. It began to build my arsenal of weapons that are not of this world, they're spiritual, the kinds I need to tear down strongholds. And it's not an activity just for pastors or for super spiritual people. You, right now, today, have the ability to go to your Heavenly Father and engage the exact same dynamics that I'm talking about, identifying some of the strongholds that are at work, using the weapons that God has provided, prayer, His truth, primarily revealed in His Word, and taking those things and coming head-on against a stronghold in your life. And when you do that, you'll begin to find some freedom. And for some of you, you fought way too long. And you've done everything you know to do except fully giving it over to God. Now, I have found it's usually not a one-time thing. I wish it was. Sometimes, I, sometimes it might be. I have found, though, that it's a, a re-engagement. And sometimes you have major breakthroughs and minor setbacks, and you re-engage. But over time, God begins to heal, and truth begins to shine, and hearts get stronger, strongholds come down. So I want you to grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. On your connect card this week, it says that next step A, today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and my Lord. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus based on grace, anything you do, we ask you to check the box as an act of your faith, in just a moment, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to look to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I agree with what your Bible says about me. But I want you to cover my sin, and I want you to be the leader of my life. Or how about next step B? You're choosing today to be baptized. If you check that, we're going to communicate with you, answer your questions, get you signed up for baptism. And uh, on both of these, you just put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service. Or how about next step C, which is to memorize this scripture one that, that helps me, all right? We looked at it earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And by memorizing that, we just remember that there is a spiritual life all around us. And our Heavenly Father wants to speak to us through those things. How about next step D? To pray this prayer each week, each day this week. God, help me to take captive every thought that is a distraction from the life you've called me to live. God, help me to take captive every thought that is a distraction from the life you've called me to live. And the next step E, most of our staff are doing their vacations this summer, and I'm praying for them to be recharged and energized. I'm asking you to join with me to pray for our staff and our pastors this week and for the summer just that we come back recharged.
and that together we can walk in unity to the words, the purpose that God has called this church to do. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that your word is so practical and true, and you love us enough to tell us the truth about us, that we have an enemy, an enemy of our soul, and he spreads lies, and yet, God, you raise up a standard against him, and you flood us with truth as we open our lives to you, and I ask you to do that right now. I pray for those folks that are acknowledging, acknowledging that they're a sinner and they need a savior. They're asking Jesus to become the leader and the forgiver of their lives. God, I pray against every stronghold in this room, we claim our authority that we have in Christ as sons and daughters of the King, royal blood. And Lord, we take captive every imagination and every argument to the cause of Christ in our life. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.